Welcome to episode number four of the Radiant Warrior podcast. We still find ourselves at the beginning of a new year. And at this time of year, there's a lot of noise around us about going on a cleanse. We all have to do whatever is right for us. But in this episode, Amy and I discuss how it's so important for us to cleanse our minds of stressful thoughts and worries about how we're showing up in our relationships and what we look like and how our practices of yoga and meditation and the path of Ayurveda support us in this kind of cleanse. I'm Amy Pruitt. I'm Lisa Dumas. I teach Ayurveda and yoga. I teach yoga. I'm a yoga therapist in training and I offer transformational coaching. But that's just part of the story. We're moms, daughters, wives, and friends. We're always learning and we've both experienced healing by what we teach. And the intention of this podcast is to offer you our favorite tools from the traditions and sciences that support us as we navigate the realities and stressors of modern life. Each week, we'll share stories, answer your questions, and talk to others who inspire us. Welcome to the Radiant Warrior Podcast. Yoga and Ayurveda to reclaim a courageous heart. I was once in a class with international celebrity yoga teacher, Sean Korn, and what stuck out to me is she said, I need about two hours of really strong yoga practice every day just before I even allow myself to talk to anybody. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I'm sure anyone she's talking to appreciates that too. Well, I can relate. I feel completely differently on days when I haven't practiced versus days that I do. And full disclosure, this is a day where I haven't practiced yet. You and I are talking about midday. One of those days, we all have great intentions to get up early and to either work out or meditate, go for a walk, whatever it is we want to do for ourselves before life sweeps us away with it. I will be making space later on for sure to practice because when it comes to yoga, it's not like you have to go somewhere special or have something special. You don't even have to have a yoga mat. These postures are available to all of us. And it also doesn't have to be a complete two-hour practice. It doesn't have to be going to a studio. In this day and age, there's so many different options. If you want to get back to your practice or get into yoga, you can go online. Or even if I don't have a lot of time, there's just a handful of postures that I might do. And there's something about it, Amy. I know you agree. And you'll have many powerful ways to weigh in. There's so much about yoga, so much that is explained and some that really isn't that can shift everything. When we move our bodies in these sacred shapes, it shifts us on a very subtle level. I agree. I was just sitting here thinking too that like my yoga practice is not heavy in asana. It's not heavy in um, you know, making the shapes so fitting in all the other practices that go along with yoga, you know, I was just thinking about my, my routines and my practices. And, you know, I do try to fit the other limbs of yoga, what limbs I can into my daily practice. If it's not making the shapes, then it's, um, you know, strongly rooted in meditation or, you know, just the way I try to present myself to the world, you know, as using the yamas and the niyamas and, you know, trying to show up as a kind person to myself and to anyone I encounter. You're speaking about the underpinnings of yoga. And some of us are aware and some of us are not. But 
the physical practice of yoga is just one of the limbs that you're speaking about. And there are many other limbs that you can explore fully, and it would take you several lifetimes in order to do it. You mentioned meditation and breath work and um, concentration, and then these yamas and niyamas. These, I like to look at it as, well, I think it's translated as ethical observances, but they're really suggestions for joyful, meaningful living. Yeah, there's a kindness to them, I feel like. They're a guideline, something that you can check in with, because whether you explore those underpinnings of yoga or not, once you do commit yourself to a practice where you are turning the world off and you're turning within and you're focusing on your breath, and for me, it has been really important to move in time with my breath, getting very physical with my body helped me to work out all of that residual anxiousness for a lot of us that do suffer with anxiety. It helps to get the body moving. And this is what we know so far about that. Uh, you and I have both read the book, The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk. He teaches us that our bodies are like memory banks. So all of our experiences are stored in our body. And in those years when I was suffering with panic and irrational fear all the time. I wasn't allowing that fear to be discharged. So once I started a physical yoga practice, and for me, it was very physical to start. And some of us do need that. Some of us don't. There was a way for my body to discharge all of that pent-up clenching. And there was then an ability to truly relax. And that's why they say that the most important yoga posture is Shavasana, corpse pose at the end of a physical practice. It's the time when we're integrating not just the practice, but we're integrating our lives really. That's what I see the daily practice as. If I wake up in the morning and I get swept away with my day as I did today, there's almost a dullness within my body and within my mind. But even just 5, 20, if I can get an hour in great, of moving my body in time with my breath, everything shifts. It's like emotions and experiences have been able to move rather than staying stuck, something I need to ponder and ruminate over so that I have space for renewed perspectives. Do you have a specific example that comes to mind? You mentioned the body keeps the score. Um, do you have a specific memory or example that you want to share about an experience you had within your body of something related to that? Well, it was interesting. When I did read that book, I remember the very first time I was introduced to yoga. I was in my early 20s and my mom took me to a class. And so I continued to go on my own. And at first, it scared me because I kept feeling like I wanted to cry after practice. And the things that were bothering me in my life that I wasn't really dealing with, I would be thinking about afterwards. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot that we don't know and we don't understand. but I like to think that what I wasn't dealing with was coming to the surface in order for me to deal with. So yoga scared me at first, and it's something that I didn't come back to for another 10 years or so, because yeah. I think I just obviously wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to look at everything that can arise once we turn our senses within, because it isn't all magic and love and light. 
when we turn our senses within and we find ourselves with our own minds and our own memories, that can be challenging to look at. And that's when we need practices that help us to be softer with ourselves. And going back to these yamas and niyamas that are described in some would say the big book of yoga, Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, you come to a lot of those just naturally when you have a committed yoga practice, wouldn't you say? Like you, yoga is this opportunity to get to know yourself, to Mm -hmm. discover the parts of us that we love and that we let shine and the parts of us that, you know, we're not so proud of. And when we read some of the philosophy behind yoga, sometimes it makes a lot of sense because we've come to some understandings on our own just through our practice. Some would say that we have a lot more answers within than we know we do. Yeah. I liked how you said about, you know, the light and the dark. I was, as you were speaking about that, I just kind of had to smile because there's been plenty of yoga practices that I have left at the end where I felt sad or angry or frustrated. You know, I didn't feel blissful. Um, (laughs) And I feel like part of that was cleansing, you know, some residual resentments or anger or wrongs maybe in my past that yoga was unveiling through the practices. And so, yeah, it's not always love and light and happiness and walking on, you know, a pink cloud. Sometimes, you know, you cry and it, it can take you, you know, off guard that why, why am I crying? I'm in Shavasana. I just had a great yoga practice. And I really feel like that's the body opening up and cleansing all the spaces where the body has stored, you know, memories or traumas or wrongs that have been done to you in your past. So it is the ultimate cleansing, whether you might be ready for it or not. Yeah. I think when you are ready for it, that's when it arises. That was the case for me. Mm Mm-hmm we're not taught any healthy ways to express and to move through things. We're taught to turn away and we're taught to resist. So it makes a lot of sense that when we undertake practices that allow for a release, it can be overwhelming for us. And I've read that even when we're moving through our regular day, even if we don't have a yoga practice, and all of a sudden we're just hit with a memory, it might be 10 years, 20 years ago, we haven't thought about it in months, weeks, maybe even years, but it just comes rushing back. You have those moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That those are opportunities. Those are opportunities to say, okay, perhaps this is some material that I haven't fully processed. And to rather than resist what is likely an unpleasant memory, because they can it can feel as though we're right back there. We can have a similar emotion that we had in that first initial situation, whatever it is. But to be curious rather than resisting and look at the material that's coming up and ask, is there something that I can take from this memory to integrate into myself and help me to evolve into the next version of who I am? And then is there part of this memory that I really can create that intention of letting go? So that does happen within the context of yoga and especially meditation. This is why I think a lot of people resist meditation or claim that they're bad at it or try it and it feels very uncomfortable because there's so much material, I believe, stored in the body 
that mm-hmm. will bubble up for us and it doesn't feel good and we don't want to not feel good. Yeah. Yeah. I have a, I have a very strong memory of where I was resisting um, at a time in my life, all those things. And it was at the pinnacle of my, the end of my burnout. And I was also engaging in a yoga practice and unearthing and unveiling a lot at the same time. And it showed up in my life as intense pain, like physical pain. I woke up one morning, I was resisting making changes in my life that needed to be made as far as my schedule and my career and my position and just resisting and resisting and resisting and trying to make all the things work that weren't working for me and just plugging through. And one morning I woke up and I could not get out of bed. I was so in such excruciating back pain. I literally could not get up out of the bed and it took my body just coming to a screeching halt because my mind was resisting making changes. Finally, my body said, we're done. If you're not going to make the changes you need to make to keep all the parts of us healthy, then we're throwing in the towel and we're going to literally keep you stuck to the bed so that you cannot go to that place of work anymore because you refuse to acknowledge the signs that you need to make change. Mm -hmm. And it was excruciating pain to where I thought I was really badly injured. I had all the tests and all the x-rays and saw the doctors and the physical therapists and there was nothing wrong permanently to my back, but it was, it was one of the most intense, painful times of my life. And it was really my body keeping the score. My body finally threw in the towel and said, if you're not going to turn towards all the signs that you need, all the changes you need to make, then the, my body literally made it impossible for me to get out of bed. So when you started to listen, when you made steps that proved to your body that you were listening to the messages that were coming to you. Mm-hmm. Is that how healing came about when it came to the pain in your back? Yeah. I don't have back pain now. Like I don't, I, for, for as intense as that pain was, the physician was telling me that he thought I tore a muscle in my back and I don't have any injury now. I don't have any debilitation now. And it, it took just making changes in my life. I'm very physically active. I have a very physically demanding job. Um, you know, I have a strong yoga practice and I don't have limitations. And so I really believe it was just my body speaking to me that changes needed to be made. And when I started to make those changes, the pain went away and I was making changes around my whole life around, Um, my relationships and my career and my schedule and boundaries and worthiness and the pain went away. And I think it was just my body communicating with me that I hadn't been listening and I hadn't been taking care of myself in the way that I should. Yeah, this could feel very theoretical to some people and that's okay. But looking at pain from an emotional perspective, especially if there's no other explanation, can be very helpful. Mm-hmm. And I can also relate with that. When I look symbolically at the condition of anxiety, I'm just speaking for myself, when I think about how it presented myself in my body, 
trembling, held breath as if I was so fragile. There wasn't any appropriate weight or ground to me. It was all air and ether. And we've discussed this from that doshic perspective, from an Ayurvedic perspective, the dosha of vata, when that is out of balance, and it certainly is with people who suffer with anxiety, as I did. We can think about vata as the element of air and the element of ether, because we're living in our mind and our mind is chaotic. And as those thoughts rush and dart about in our head, our breath mirrors our thoughts. Our breath is shallow and it's quick and we can't sit still. We don't have any anchoring. This is another concept that may seem theoretical to people. And it was certainly foreign to me when I came to my yoga practice, but my teacher started to teach me about the energetic centers of the body. And when I dove into that subject, I learned that this first energetic center, so just a quick overview, there's said to be seven main energy centers in the body that run up and down the length of the spine, starting at the root of the spine, the seventh being at the crown of the head. And these are areas where our psychology and our physical body meet. So if you are using the chakra system as a tool for healing, that means that you would intentionally use different aspects of your body to heal different areas of your life. And this makes so much sense to me when it comes to anxiety because the first energy center that is thought to reside at the base of the spine is physically connected to our legs and our feet, this part of our body that physically connects us to the ground and supports us. And before I even knew this information, after a yoga class, especially a yoga class that had some long, strong, held standing poses, I felt stronger. I felt stronger to do things that had previously scared me, even though this may sound completely irrational now to some, but driving on my own scared me a lot. But I had more confidence after those classes. So when I read that, it's like I mentioned, we'll read information that we have already somehow experienced through these practices. And that's when I knew that I was on the right path. And the more that I did work with strengthening my feet and my legs, and even if I'm not on the mat, if I'm going for a walk in nature, I'll be very intentional about feeling my feet on the ground. I've spoken about how it's powerful to just plant my feet while I'm feeling a little bit nervous and pay attention to that connection. It's very grounding. The body expresses itself in symbolic ways. And if you're interested in going more deeply into that, the author Caroline Mice, I think, or Miss M-I-M-Y-S-S, I'm not sure how you pronounce her last name, but she's got a great book on the subject called Anatomy of the Spirit. And she views pain and illness very symbolically. And she directs people to make changes in different areas of their life. I just think about the way I used to hold my body before I dove into yoga and Ayurveda. My shoulders were rounded forward. Um, My chest was kind of concave and protected. You know, I was naturally, my shoulders were kind of up into my ears also. And, you know, now I think about the way I roll my shoulders open and down, like I'm much more open hearted, not just in the symbolic sense, but also in a, in a literal physical sense you know, I don't feel so the need to 
protect my heart. You know, I'm much more open-hearted now. And I think it shows in the way I carry my body. You know, my posture is different. Since starting a yoga practice, my posture is different. And not, not just because I'm doing a physical practice, but because I think I have dove into some of those areas of healing healing my mind and healing my heart and, you know, doing a lot of soul work and generational healing. So it's just interesting to me to like look at pictures and stuff too, about how even my body looks different, but it's also different in the way that it's more, it's, I carry myself differently. You're saying so many powerful things. This is how I use yoga. This is why yoga is so powerful for me. You talked about feeling hunched over and almost collapsed in your middle. So if we move up the length of this chakra system based on the seven main energy centers, we talked about how the first one, if it's out of balance, then a person could be prone to fear and anxiousness. And then the second energy center which is physically connected to the hip areas thought to be related to our emotional lives and the way that we feel about expressing, expressing our emotions, our right to feel and our right to healthy sexuality. So if there's tightness in the hips, maybe thinking about what's going on emotionally or in those realms and that collapse that can happen, that's something that I can relate with third energy center right around the solar plexus, this Manipura chakra that's related to our will and how we feel about taking strong action in our lives, this ability to manifest. And when I was hiding my anxiety disorder, I was in shame. And shame is an emotion that can completely shroud and cloak that third energy center. We go into hiding rather than stepping forward and being confident and making our dreams come true because we've convinced ourselves that we're not worthy in some essential way. We're afraid that if other people really see us, that they'll see our essential wrongness. So we might see people that are expressing themselves physically as being completely concave, almost sunken in that middle point area. And as you mentioned, also sunken in the chest when the heart is broken, when we're dealing with grief, when there's something that needs to be forgiven if that heart chakra, if you will, anahata uh, is a Sanskrit term for that heart space, which translate as unstruck. And I love that because we can think of the heart in its natural state, the spiritual heart in its natural state as being unbroken. Yet that's not the reality for those of us who live in the modern world. Our hearts can be closed for one reason or another. And in a physical yoga practice, if we are practicing postures that help us to physically open up across the chest, to strengthen the muscles behind that physical heart and stretch the muscles across the chest, uh, the pecs, if we're talking about it from a physical standpoint, we do. It may sound crazy, but we do feel more open-hearted. Even if that's all we did 
in the morning is just open up across the chest, especially in the lives that we lead now, right? Everything we do is out in front of us. When we're driving, when we're in the house, when we're carrying kids, when we're looking down at our phones, when we're watching television, shoulders are rounded forward. And so we are creating that structure. And even just that, even if there isn't heartache, just the act of um, having those shoulders rounded forward, it works both ways. That can make us feel more closed in the heart that can close us to love from others and love from ourselves and offering that love. So that is exactly one of the major reasons that yoga is so important to me and how I have used it in order to heal. The stronger that my body has felt, the stronger I feel on the inside. And the more that I've done core work, Right, the stronger that I've gotten in that middle part of me, I have felt like I have more will and more natural confidence rather than just faking it, which I think I did through that entire 15 years where I suffered with anxiety because I was still somehow making my way in the world. I was still on the air and, and climbing up the rungs of the ladder in this radio career because I was just faking it. I was taking every vestige of energy that I possibly had left after all the panic attacks and I was pretending that I was okay because I didn't want anyone else to see the truth. So strengthening that on a physical level has helped me so much. Everything that you just said is so powerful and it's just a reminder of how important it is for me to move my body in those ways every day. And it always surprises me as well. And because stories are medicine and because that's the intention of this podcast that you and I are going to share our stories in service. Lately, I've been practicing for a very strong intention and that is to create broader perspectives and a more compassionate and loving perspective towards myself and my daughter when it comes to my role as a mother and my relationship with her. This, I won't share any of her side of the story because it's her story to tell, but I have a 16-year-old daughter and we can all say the sentence that raising teenagers are hard. Sure, we can say that. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. But motherhood in itself, every mother can agree, is challenging in ways that we never thought it would be. And it's not just the moment of challenges that get to me. It's like the Buddhist proverb where there's the initial pain and then there's the thousand times over that we hurt ourselves because we're going over that pain in our mind. And that's where I've been finding myself. I never thought that I would be a worried mom, and I guess I'm resisting that, but I have a lot of worries about my daughter and, and her own road with anxiety, and because I know what a living hell that can feel like, to realize that the truth is I have to hold space for her suffering rather than control it out of her because she's not going to let me do that, Amy. (laughs) (laughs) No. And I would say what yoga is supporting me with right now is easing the suffering in my mind that is related to how much 
I admit that I want to control her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I can totally relate to all of that. Mm-hmm. In that in the in the book we mentioned the Yoga Sutras. I think it's Sutra number two, right? The if there is a goal of yoga, it is to ease the modifications of the mind, to ease the suffering of the mind. I can't think my way out of some of the thoughts that I have when it comes to thinking about what my daughter should do and how she should treat her body and how she should think in order to feel better. And the last thing she wants is to be coached by me. And so through many, many hard conversations and, and my learning about that, I realize that the best, no, the only thing that I can do is work on the perspective of trust that she's on her own journey and I haven't been a perfect mother and things that I've done and said may have even contributed to where she's at right now, but that that in itself is also part of her path. But I can't think my way into that often, especially in certain times, depending on where my hormones are and where hers are, when the suffering gets almost unbearable, right? Like Mm -hmm. these children, Mm -hmm. they're like your heart out there walking around in the world. Yeah. When their heart is breaking, it's a hundred times more excruciating than when mine has. So it is amazing when I can't think my way out of that pain, how rolling out my mat and moving in time with my breath starts to change things for me. It surprises me every single time. I think, I don't know. I think I'm just too sad today. Nothing's going to help. (laughs) But just moving a little bit and making it symbolic, making it like, I want to open up my heart. I want to open up my heart to myself and to her and to move into that space of compassion and remembering how shitty it is to be a teenager. And so I will move through postures that will open up across the chest and I will breathe deeply so that I can imagine that I'm moving some of the suffering that's going on, moving it through me and moving it out, not with the goal of not feeling it anymore, but integrating a little bit and then having access to some higher thoughts around it because so much of the fearful thoughts that I have, these are just, this is just my own stuff. You know, that's, that's a big part of motherhood that no one tells you. It's going to trigger all of that darkness within you that you shut the door on that you don't want to deal with all of the parts of ourselves that we don't like. You know, sometimes we'll see those in our kids and we'll try to raise that out of them when in fact what we need to do is turn the mirror around and heal ourselves. And that's what the gift that yoga has been giving me this week is all the ways that I want to control her. Well, you know what? Those are things that I still need to tend to. And that's all I can control is what I'm thinking and how I'm running my own life. And then just again and again, working on this trusting in her path. Well, I think as mothers, we have a very confusing path to, you know, to follow because they're, they literally came from ourselves. They are literally physically a part of us for so long. And even once we birth them, they're still physically attached to us, you know, 
because of their needs. And so it's hard to then, as they separate from us, you know, become their own people, have their own wants, their own needs. Um, that's a hard, those are hard lessons for us to learn because when they're infants, we, you know, we take care of all their needs and we take, make sure that they don't want for anything and we don't want them to ever suffer. And what mother would ever want to, you know, would stand by as their infants suffering? Probably not any. You always want to ease their pain. And then as they grow up, when do you start to back away? There's no algorithm that we've ever been given that says at this age, at this date, you will begin to, you know, extract yourself from their feelings, let them learn their own lessons. And, you know, there's no textbook answer that we've ever been given. And so it's such a hard path for mothers. And I feel like daughters, especially I've only had daughters. So when do you start letting go? When do you start letting them learn their own lessons? When, when does the boundaries begin to take shape of you're letting them have their own lives. You know, my, my first Ayurvedic diagnosis that my Ayurvedic practitioner gave to me was that my heart was broken. And then very quickly, she gave me a mantra to work. She gave me a lot of other stuff, but she gave me a mantra to work that, that said, I lovingly release others to learn their own lessons. And I worked that mantra day and night and it did bring me a lot of comfort because I never stopped loving my children or my loved ones, but I could lovingly release them to learn their own lessons, that it was a gift for me to them to release them to learn their own lessons. It still was coming from a loving place. And that was something I was struggling with because I felt like, my love was in question if I was letting them fail in any way. Mm -hmm. And so that mantra was especially beneficial for me as a, as a mother trying to navigate teenage girls. I lovingly release them to learn their own lessons. I lovingly release them to learn their own lessons. That's, that's helpful probably in all relationships. I I think that a quality that we have in all of our relationships is resisting how other people are and wanting them to be something that they're not or wanting them to love us in a way that they're not. And Mm -hmm. you asked the question, when do we know to allow our children to have some more space and make their own mistakes? There are, there are best teachers. These teenage years, when they start to push away, they're telling you, they're telling you, I want more autonomy. I want to be individual from you. I want to dress differently than you. I want to have different interests than you. Nobody likes to be told what to do, but I think especially at this age. And I remember when yoga gives me spacious perspective, then I can remember, yes, my parents didn't tell me with words the most important things that I've learned in my life. I had to go out into the world and mess up. And that's how I learned. And that's how I got to where I am. I just had no idea it was going to be so painful to hold space and watch them hurt. So this practice 
its underpinnings, all eight limbs have become a bit of a support system and a way that I can parent myself and be the mother that I need and help me to have broader perspectives so I can show up in a better way for her. She will be so much stronger and so much wiser for it, you know, that she is creating her own foundations for a strong, healthy life. By learning, going off into the world and, and learning her own lessons. Yeah. No matter what it is that she may be suffering with, I have to know that on the other side of any pain that we go through, more resilience is possible. And isn't that what so many of us need is more emotional resilience so that we're not beaten down by inevitable pain. What a perfect parent for her to have, you know, with your experiences that you have traveled can model for her what healing looks like. And that's how I use yoga as a parent as well. You just reminded me because these practices allow me to love her in unique ways when she might not be allowing me to love her in the ways that are familiar to me. Mm -hmm. I'm not able to love her in many of the ways that I took care of her when she was younger. And so I'll love her from afar within my meditation. I'll love her by sending her this Buddhist idea of loving kindness. In fact, I wrote a post about this at some point and I think about it all the time because I don't think it's wise or helpful to either us or the person that is the focus of our worries when we're worrying over them. And I've been watching my mind worry and worry and catastrophize around my daughter and that's not helpful. I don't want to be approaching our relationship with that kind of worried energy. And I don't always remember, but this conversation is helping me to remember that when I notice myself doing that, it is always helpful for me to shift it into a loving kindness blessing, meaning I'll picture her and I'll send her the blessings. May you be safe. May you be healthy. May you be happy. May you be at peace. Mm -hmm. And when I do that, my heart starts to soften I start to remember all of the places that she is flourishing. Because let's face it, when we succumb to worry and to suffering, it's natural. We're succumbing to our negativity bias, this part of our brains and bodies that helped us survive once upon a time, but it doesn't feel very good now, especially in a world where we do have a lot to worry about if we look hard enough. So it takes a little extra effort in order to look at the places that our loved ones are flourishing and the places where we're doing well as mothers. Mm -hmm. So I've been offering that to myself and that's what I would offer to any moms that are succumbing to mom guilt and worry is think about the places where your kids are doing well and the lessons that they have learned and the places where they're good people and good friends and um, how they make us laugh. And that list could be endless when I think about my child. And if I'm thinking about myself in a kinder way as a mom, same thing. I could come up with a lot of things that I've done that I'm proud of, even though it's a lot easier to think of the times when I might have unintentionally shamed her or harmed her in some way with my words. 
I can find, if I think about it, way more where I extended love and where I'm proud of the words and the lessons that I was able to offer her. So we might have to look harder to find what we love about ourselves and each other, but yoga and meditation can soften our experience and move some of the harsh ego and old fear out of the way so that we can open up to some greater wisdom. I liked how you talked about the energy that you're bringing to her, that you don't want to bring this worried, nervous energy to her. That just made me think of conversations I've had with my own daughters where I've been worried and I wanted to fix things. And then I came to the conclusion with them that I was diminishing their power, you know, that I wasn't acknowledging how powerful and strong they were to handle things for themselves because I wanted to jump in and fix things before they were given the opportunity to do it. And for me, I felt like I was kind of diminishing that they were growing into these strong women. And if I was worried all the time, then I was kind of bringing an energy to them that I didn't think that they could handle things. That was a, that was a shift I had to make for myself on how I, the energy I was bringing to them that I believed in them. And yeah, we live in this world and things suck sometimes and the world can be cruel and unkind. Um, It doesn't make everything okay, but to bring the energy to them that I do believe in them and I believe that they are strong and powerful and that they are wise and give them the opportunity to heal themselves or create the lives that they want before I automatically go into mom mode and just start bulldozing things to try to quote unquote fix things or handle things for them. It reminds me of this book that I'm rereading, Mindful Loving by Henry Grayson. And just like A Course in Miracles, he asserts that there's two main emotions. There's love and there's fear. And those are the two main emotions that are expressed in relationships. Even if you might be receiving anger from someone, or if you yourself might be feeling irritation or anger, a person that is expressing that anger is usually expressing some old maybe even childhood fear. And if the other, of course, this is if the situation isn't violent. And so, and I'm talking about it through the lens of my daughter and I, if she were to express what I might consider some irrational anger, rather than moving into my ego and into my fear, you know, my old fear of rejection and this belief that I shouldn't be spoken to like that, the author of the book suggests, can we somehow extend love? I can see that you're feeling angry. Tell me more about that. Feeling feeling more loving and compassionate for that person and understanding that underlying the anger is just fear. And we can all relate with that because we all have those same fears. And then another technique is if we're in judgment of someone or if we're worried about someone or if we don't like one of the actions that we're taking, they're taking, we know that it's futile to worry about it because we truly cannot control another person. We can teach all we like, we can talk all we like, but that person is in charge of their mind, their beliefs, and their actions. 
So it's also helpful to turn around and say, okay, well, where have I been that way? And we can all find that. We can all find a way where we have acted or thought in a similar situation. And it's just another way to soften and broaden perspectives. And because we were speaking about the energetic system of the body, you know, yoga and Ayurveda both believe that we are these multidimensional, multi-layered beings, physical body and mental bodies and a subtle body, which is this energy body that we've been talking about when it comes to the chakra system. That seventh energy center that is at crown of the head, that one, if we make our way through these healing tools of the chakra system, the, the thought is that if there's an opening or a balancing at that energy center, that we start to know our connection to something greater and the best way, the best real world practice that I suggest to find that connection is to actually imagine a version of you that is innately wise, maybe a, a much older version of you, but your inner wise one. And it just goes with what I said earlier. We have more answers within than we think. We have to cut through all of the limited chaotic fears first. But if we continue to do that through moving it out, through movement practices and stilling the mind with meditation, and then if we were to look inside and ask the question, all right, this inner wisdom, or as yoga would say, true nature, or the part of us that's never been afraid, what do I need to know here? And usually we will get a beautiful, softer answer. And so I've been doing that at the end of my practices later, and I plan to do that later on today. Makes so much of a difference. Remembering, finding the answers, listening. Yes. We know more than we think. The answer is always so similar for me. It's urging me to be more allowing in so many different ways. Like I have a physical reaction in my body when I think the word allow. Mm -hmm. Because this part of me that felt like it wanted to control her and the way the house looks and the way we're all eating, all of these things, it didn't really come up for me until I became a mom. And it doesn't feel good, you know? It feels, feels really constricted and tense. I don't feel quite like myself when I'm thinking about how I'd like to control her. And the truth is, in the past, when I have been able to cultivate the practice of really allowing, it shifts her too. I didn't have to say anything. I, did, I didn't even have to do anything extreme or say that perfect thing or show up and be the perfect mother, make her a perfect dinner or have the perfect advice for her. Just shifting it within myself of allowing her to be on her own journey actually shifts her anyway. I'm sure she feels empowered by that that you trust her enough to allow her to make her own way. And that reminds me that I found that in most of my relationships after a committed yoga practice, do you relate with this? I, I had a lot of constricting, harsh feeling stories about my marriage at one point and a, about my parents at one point. Lots of different beliefs and things that they said and did and what I made that mean about me. But my practice has 
opened up this area of allowing and allowing myself to see a much bigger perspective and to realize that all the ways that I judge other people are just places that I judge myself. And even having those own realizations within myself without even having to say anything to the other has made a more loving, compassionate, beautiful relationship. For me, my yoga practice brought up a lot of releasing, you know, releasing control, releasing expectations, really just coming back to my own center first, instead of trying to handle everyone else's business, instead of looking at my own business. So yoga was always drawing me back to my center to heal myself before I tried to heal anyone else. Um, That was a very powerful message that yoga brought to me. I was always trying to heal other people. And it was a distraction of the work that I needed to do for myself. There was always work that I could do for other people, which seems so funny to say out loud, but very loud and clear. I got the message, heal yourself before you even attempt to heal anyone else. Um, And this was after 20 some years in healthcare. I needed to return to work on myself before I could help anyone else including my children, including my family, including my relationships, my marriage. I needed to heal myself before I could show up in any of those places as I, as I wanted to be. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you mentioned something that not a lot of us realize, but a lot of the things that we think we have to do serve as distractions so that we don't have to deal with our own shit because we might not be ready for it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> all the ways I keep myself busy and all that to-do list and even the way I keep myself busy in my work as a yoga teacher, the constant planning that I'll do for workshops and and retreats and the website and all of that. Sometimes I think it's a distraction to to keep myself busy for continuing to do that inner work. Such a good reminder. I love this real time work that you and I are doing in this conversation. I needed to have this conversation today and I need to go and have my practice that I didn't take time for this morning. Have you practiced today? I have not. I've been watching my three-month-old granddaughter for the last 24 hours. So there has been (laughs) a a lot of breath work, (laughs) a lot of trying to quiet her and quiet me and just be a presence for her, you know, whatever she needs. There's been no physical practice on my part. There's been very little sleep on my part. So after she leaves, I will try to just do some gentle restorative postures and get quiet and just be grateful for the time that I get to spend with her. Well, and if there's anything that we can impart from this conversation, because we do live in the real world, you don't have to have two hours of a classic Hatha yoga practice in order to be a yoga practitioner, in order to get the benefits. And ultimately, how we for ourselves can choose love over fear. That's a, that's a complete practice. All right, let's go practice. Yes, we need it before we greet the world. All right, love you. Love you. Thank you for listening to the Radiant Warrior podcast. If you found it valuable, please leave us a positive review to help others find it. And please check out the Radiant Warrior podcast on Instagram and Facebook to leave us your questions and find out where you can come and practice with us next.